This season of DDX is brought to you by Ultragenics Pharmaceutical Corporation. An eight-year-old boy has recurrent episodes of rhabdomyolysis, a potentially life-threatening syndrome where skeletal muscle fibers break down and leak proteins into the bloodstream. The young boy enters the hospital to begin treatment. An echocardiogram shows his heart function is half of what it should be. His condition quickly worsens. A code is called. Code blue, room 305. Code blue, room 305. The boy is surrounded by a team of doctors, nurses, and respiratory techs. He's not breathing. His heart has stopped. This is DDX, a podcast from Figure One about how doctors think. This season is all about rare diseases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj. Today's case comes from Dr. Jerry Vockley. Dr. Vockley has been compensated by Figure One for his participation in this episode. I'm the chief of genetic and genomic medicine at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. I'm also a professor of human genetics in the Graduate School of Public Health and direct a program called the Center for Rare Disease Therapy at the Children's Hospital. This young patient's journey began years before that traumatic day in the PICU. In fact, it began shortly after birth with reports of hypoglycemia and a newborn screening that returned a diagnosis of either long-chain 3-hydroxyacyl-CoA dehydrogenase, or LCHAD, or trifunctional protein deficiency. Both are rare conditions that prevent the body from converting certain fats into energy. Since you can't distinguish the two of those, you have to do additional testing, which was done, and the patient was shown to be homozygous for the common trifunctional protein alpha subunit mutation that leads to isolated LCHAT deficiency. The baby was started on frequent feeds to prevent hypoglycemia, including frequently through the night. That approach seemed to work well to manage his rare genetic condition. The family felt he was developing normally with good activity and muscle strength. But around the age of seven, he started having recurrent episodes of rhabdomyolysis. This is actually pretty common in this disorder. Children can have early symptoms, but if they don't, oftentimes by the time they hit five or six or thereabouts, we'll start developing symptoms. We don't actually know why that happens, but it's a pretty common finding. At this point in his life, the child was rarely out of hospital for more than a couple of weeks at a time. So after six or eight months of that, they began to talk to their local metabolic doc about other options for treatment. The decision was made to refer the patient to Dr. Vockley. By the time the patient arrived in Pittsburgh, he was eight years old. A recent echocardiogram was normal, but Dr. Vockley had reason for concern. Since long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, or LCFAOD, lead to a deficiency in mitochondrial energy, a common outcome is cardiomyopathy, a disease that makes it hard for your heart to pump blood. That can lead to heart failure. When I saw him in our research center for his first research visit, I was a little worried because he didn't seem to me to be all that well. We drew his study blood testing and sent him off for his echocardiogram, which now showed an ejection fraction of about 45% down from the normal 55 to 60% that he would have had six months prior. 
Instead of starting treatment as an outpatient, Dr. Vockley decided to admit the child to hospital for closer monitoring of his condition. But as Dr. Vockley was on his way to the hospital the next day, the on-call geneticist paged him to tell him the child wasn't looking good and had been transferred to the pediatric intensive care unit. By the time I got to the hospital, he was uh, surrounded by a huge team. And I was told that when he got to the PICU, he had had uh, a cardiac arrest. His echo at that time showed essentially no heart function. He was not effectively pumping any blood. And so they proceeded to do a full cardiorespiratory resuscitation on him. Thankfully, the team was able to restart his heart, but it was still hardly pumping any blood. An emergency decision was made to put him on ECMO, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, sometimes called a heart-lung machine. The machine kept him alive for almost two weeks. Throughout that time, he kept having a test of his cardiac function, and the family and I was told that he really showed no signs of his heart improving and that there was essentially no blood movement coming from his heart. After about two weeks, the cardiologists had a conversation with us that said there really was very little chance that his heart was going to recover if it hadn't already recovered, and that now the risks of complications related to ECMO were starting to get quite high. They suggested that we start thinking about withdrawing support and uh, making arrangements for palliative care. After years of worry and pain, the family had been told their child was going to die. But Dr. Vockley hadn't given up. He wanted to try a different approach. Over the next few weeks, the patient's heart function returned to near normal, and he was discharged into rehab for intense physical therapy to regain his strength. It turns out that Because of the block in long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, these patients are relying on their TCA cycle or their Krebs cycle to generate energy. Remember the Krebs cycle that you learned probably many times in school? It's okay, I don't either. But understanding it is the key to understanding metabolic disorders. So what happens is as these patients get older and they have more body mass or they have some metabolic stress, suddenly they're no longer generating enough energy and they need additional propionyl-CoA, three carbon units in addition to the two carbon units, and suddenly their whole cellular bioenergetics crash. Your body is a finely tuned machine, and if it can't burn fuel properly, it doesn't perform well. This young man did well. He survived his acute episode. In the world of genetics, a new disease is identified almost every day. What can health practitioners do to try to keep up with this rapidly changing field? The most important aspect of this is that because genetic disorders can affect essentially any body system, if you've got a patient that is doing something that you just don't understand, it's a good idea to get that patient to a genetic specialist who can evaluate for one of these disorders and try to sort things out sooner rather than later. And finally, you may have heard about genetic therapy, the idea of rewriting genetic code to stop these diseases before they even begin. The good news is it's actually happening now, that there are gene therapy trials that are currently in clinical trials, 
And the future for genetic disorders is really suddenly here. The idea that we'll be able to use gene therapy, delivery of a new gene, or a new therapy called CRISPR, which has made a lot of publicity lately, to actually go in and fix the mistakes in a patient's DNA are realities. They're realities for a small number of disorders, but the technology is finally robust enough that we'll be seeing a lot of these therapies coming down the road in the coming years. Thanks to Dr. Vockley for speaking with us. This is DDX, a podcast by Figure One. Figure One is an app that lets doctors share clinical images and knowledge about difficult-to-diagnose cases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj, host and story editor of DDX. You can follow me on Twitter at Raj Bardwaj MD. Head over to figureone.com slash DDX, where you can find full show notes, photos, and speaker bios. This episode was brought to you by Ultragenics Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.